You're listening to episode 412 of the UAV Digest. I'm Max Flight. And I'm David Vanderhoof. Hello, Max. How are we? Doing well, David. You? Good. We're recording this the Thursday before Labor Day, so I guess the unofficial end of summer has come. I don't know where the heck this year is going. Of course, if you're in the other hemisphere, it's just getting started. This is true. (laughs) So what have we got tonight, David? We got uh, nano drones in Ukraine, cloud seeding with drones in China, bots that clean beaches and waterways, a STEM program for young girls, new technologies from Dragonfly, and patrolling the airport perimeter. That last story, Max, um, how far have we come that we're... We'll get to it, but it just seemed. I, I read that story today and going, boy, when we first started, the odds of something like that happening would be slim to nil. That's right. Drones around airports was bad and still is, but now sometimes drones around airports are good. But we'll so, get to that. It's not so bad. Yeah. So let's get started. What are black hornets, the cutting-edge micro-drone donated to Ukraine? The British Prime Minister announced that 850 black hornet nanodrones would be given to Ukraine under a joint UK-Norway program. So what's the black hornet nano? Well, it's tiny, as you might suspect, since, since it's called a nano, including the, uh, the propellers, it's, or the rotors. It's about the size of a tennis ball, I guess. And... Despite the diminutive size, they have three high-definition cameras, including night vision, maximum range of about 1.2 miles, flight time up to 25 minutes, and an 11-mile-an-hour top speed. And it is kind of impressive that all of that is can be packaged, can be held in basically the palm of your hand. Hmm. The Nano was designed by Prox Dynamics in Norway, which became part of Teledyne Flair. Um, and it was designed to be quiet enough to enter buildings without being heard. And it first was being used by British troops in Afghanistan in 2013. And they're not inexpensive. My goodness. At the time, I guess this means when the British troops were using them in 2013, they cost about 80,000 pounds about $94,000 per little nano drone. <laughs> pretty pretty expensive. But I can really see, I'm intrigued by this, actually. I can really see how uh, this could be you know, useful in uh, military conflicts of certain types where you want to uh, be able to look into buildings and areas, right? See around corners. See around corners, yeah. Um, definitely check the show notes and check out this little, tiny little helicopter, And, of course, it is vitally important to get supplies to Ukraine. We know that um, because, believe it or not, on the other end of the spectrum, Iran is providing Russia. So I think, Max, we have our first real drone war that, you know, which is kind of hard to believe. But we kind of do. Yeah. The battle for Ukraine is currently is definitely a armed and unmanned, unmanned conflict. So. And the impressive thing, I think, about the photograph of this thing is it, it shows two fingers in a gloved hand holding the entire drone. It's just very, very small. It's teeny, as my 
Amber would say. So our next story comes from Sky.com. Drones and rockets bring rainfall to China during record-breaking heat wave and severe drought. Now, I think pretty much everywhere in the world is suffering from heat waves and severe drought. I know here in here in Delaware, it's been hot as heck. But evidently, um, China has gotten to work on cloud seeding. It's something, a technology that's been around for a while, but using UAVs for it. Right, as well as rockets. But uh, there are a number of examples where they're actually um, using drones for cloud seeding. It mentions that eight cloud seeding flights are planned over the Huizhou province in southwest China. And uh, drones have been flown over the Sichuan province. It brought rainfall to more than 600 square kilometers of land. And a drone was recently sent to Henan uh, province to bring what they call artificial precipitation to that area. I like that. It's just rain, but to call it artificial precipitation (laughs) sounds kind of impressive. Yeah, kind of scary, too. (laughs) A little bit. So did you have that? There's a photograph in this article of, of a drone. And, of course, as we all know, oftentimes the image associated with the story isn't what the story is about. But uh, this looks like a Wing Lung 2 military drone to me. I don't know if you had the same uh, the same thought, David. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a military thing. Now, the article doesn't specify exactly what drone they're using to seed. So, I mean, you, you can take this with or without a grain of salt. But what what is the link? Wing Long, it's a male. Of course, that's medium altitude, long endurance. Designed by AVIC, which is the Aviation Industry Corporation of China. Um, it's developed primarily for the export market. It's intended for surveillance and aerial reconnaissance missions. Basically, it's the class of um, predator slash reaper that we have in the United States. Right, because it's a military aircraft, it can be fitted with a variety of weapons for different purposes. And, of course, it's a fixed wing. It's got a V-tail, turbocharged engine in the rear, driving a propeller, a rear-mounted propeller. We'll have a a photo of that in the show notes, and you can kind of see what this is like. But I don't know a lot about cloud seeding. I don't know if there's any downsides to it or or not. I just don't know. I know you're, you know, you're dispersing certain chemicals into the air, and that causes the, the water droplets to coalesce uh, around it. I guess, uh, and to rain, sounds great. If you, you take the moisture out of the air, though, that means wherever it would have gone doesn't get that moisture. I guess, but I don't know. I don't know if it's a an issue or not. But I think it's kind of interesting to see that China's using drones in order to do this cloud seeding to to bring some much needed relief to the parched countryside. Also, what's interesting um, is it mustn't take whatever whatever it is they're deploying to um, into the clouds to seed them. It mustn't take that much because they're using medium-sized drones. They're not using, you know, um, originally, you know, in the 60s and 70s when cloud seeding was really... Um, it was done by heavy lift airlifters, you know, with spray um, rigs in them. So it, that's 
it's interesting that maybe the technology has approved. Anybody out there who done cloud seeding or knows how to cloud seed, let us know because it is an intriguing prospect. Yeah, always happy to learn more about something. Oh, yeah. This is why we do this show, folks. Watch drones pick up litter on Michigan beaches and waterways. It's estimated that millions of pounds of plastics go into the Great Lakes every year. And if you're overseas, you know that the United States has got five lakes that border between Canada and the United States. Michigan is primarily surrounded by water. So um, they've got a trash problem. And so they're trying to address that with two litter bots. And they're called the Pixie Drone and the Bee Bot. They remove litter from the water, one of them on the water and the other on the sand. And this is to pick up things like pieces of plastic, bags, bottle caps, cigarette butts, um, straws, cups, bottles, all that kind of stuff. Both of these come from the same company, which is Cereal Cleaners, except they got a little bit clever. Did you notice that, David? Yes, it's as in C-E-A-R-I-A-L, so as in water. So let's talk about the Beebot beach cleaning robot. It rakes seaweed, sifts sands, levels sandy areas, and transports and lifts loads. It preserves the flora and fauna of the sand during its passage, which is important. It's 100% electric with solar panels. It's got a low sound volume that works with any time of the day, day and night, without restriction. And it can lift through sift through about 32,000 square feet of sand per hour. It's an impressive piece of technology. Now, if you've lived anywhere near a shore, you know, um, a lot of the Jersey shores have big trucks that drive down the beaches in the morning that basically have a brush in the front and scoop up all of the litter. But they make a lot of noise and you can't. But this looks like a nice little compact drone that will make your beaches clean. It does. It almost looks a, a little bit like a, a scaled-down Zamboni in a way. But the Pixie drone, the other one, is for on the water. It's a, a floating waste collector drone. And it's, it's remote-controlled. It has a video camera and LiDAR as well to avoid obstacles. And I think this is a pretty cool aspect to, of it, David. Once you start the Pixie drone operating, you can follow it on a web app so you can watch its progress and see where it is and all. And it has a 160 liter collection capacity and it can run for up to six hours if it's in autonomous mode. Autonomous mode is probably what you, what you want rather than have somebody having to monitor it throughout an extended period of time. So they're actually using these, trying to make a dent in the garbage that's in and around the lakes. What would be interesting, I'm, I'm kind of curious what sea states the uh, Pixie drone's capable of dealing with. I mean, how much rough surf and, you know, because anybody who's heard the song of the record of the Edmund Fitzgerald knows that the lakes are not necessarily the friendliest thing in the world. So I just, I, I'm, I'm curious what kind of weather sea states that this little drone can chug along and pick up all its trash. The company does say that this Pixie drone will operate in saltwater, freshwater, or brackish water. 
equally. It, it doesn't uh, it doesn't mind what kind of water it's in, I guess. But yeah, in terms of wind and waves, there there must be some limitations to it. Let's go across the country to San Diego, California. And this is from NBC San Diego. High school girls use drones to uncover the black indigenous legacy of San Diego County's founding. This is a group of women of color who call themselves herstorians. I like that. I kind of like that term. That's right. So they're trying to empower ethnic minority girls in the 14 to 17 age range and get them involved in STEM. And in fact, they plan to open a museum next year, July 2023. But what they're doing between now and then, I think is just is just great. The girls are going to get their drone licenses, and then they are going to map some specific historic sites in the San Diego area using LIDAR-equipped drones. And then all of this is going to come together to be presented at the new museum. I think that's just really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was watching National Geographic and a series on um, National Geographic, which is part of Disney Plus, um, and it's uh, all about the um, Mayan cultures, and they're using a lot. And a lot of the episodes are based on lidar because the lidar gets to see through the through the forestry and stuff, and all the new discoveries. So it really is an impressive technology. And this is this is a really kind of an amazing use that you're helping. Um, these girls develop a, a better sense of themselves right. um, and their history at the same time. It it really is a neat a neat package and a neat story, and um, it should be an interesting museum. And all of this is taking place under a program that's called Our Genetic Legacy, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes, of course. Um, but that program is free for the girls. Although I think I saw somewhere that they get paid for it because it's it's a workforce development project. So they're actually earning money as well, besides learning about their history and so forth um, and the technology, of course. And uh, our genetic legacy was formed by somebody named uh, Shelley Baxter. And this was in response to her own personal frustration with the lack of re- uh, recognition and the disenfranchisement of uh, BIPOC Americans in American history. Now, BIPOC, that's a new acronym for me. So I had to look it up. But apparently this is being used more and more. And it stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, B-I-P-O-C. So definitely a very cool program. So um, And definitely check out that video. You know, it's one of those really good drones for good story that we were talking about. So, But let's go to Dragonflies. They're adding new products to bring value to drone operations. Um, The article describes three technologies that Dragonfly has added this year. The first would be a heavy lift drone that can carry up to 67 pounds of payload with a 55-minute duration, can fly automated or manual missions, and has been used by Ukraine to deliver medical supplies and humanitarian aid already. And the second one is the Commander 3XL drone. Now, this is a high-endurance, weather-resistant, multi-rotor UAV. It's designed for quick and easy assembly, rapid deployment. It was modeled after Dragonfly's X-4ES drone 
Of course, in that, the fuselage is just a simple rectangular tube, but it packs down, it folds up, packs down into a transport case, and it's got quick-release arms, quick-release propellers, so that it can be operational very quickly. It's uh, lighter weight, obviously, not as capable as the heavy lift drone. It carries up to 26 pounds of payload, has a maximum flight duration of 50 minutes and a 24-mile range. And um, also, uh, like the heavy lift, it can operate in automated or manual flight modes. And last but not least is the new long-range LIDAR system. It's being used in Ukraine by demining teams, which I can imagine would be a perfect use for LIDAR. And the applications include mapping and surveying forests, cities, real estate, energy infrastructure, and telecommunications infrastructure. And Dragonfly just announced their 2022 Q2 results a few weeks ago. And revenue was $2,370,115, which is a 19.6 year-over-year increase, all from organic growth. Right, and most of that revenue came from product sales. Drone service sales were $837,000 out of that two, almost $2.4 million. Uh, gross profit was up 39%, and gross margins are running about the same as last year, close to 40%. So, um, you know, the numbers are uh, looking pretty good for Dragonfly. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll keep an eye on them. Um, yeah, I, that heavy lift drone, I think, is kind of cool. And, of course, like we said earlier, LiDAR seems to be the technology that's being really, really used by UASs, so... All right, Max, you know, if you and I talked about starting this show and we said that we would get to a point where they're using drones over airports to monitor the airport, when we first started the show, we would have said there wouldn't be a single pilot on the planet that would allow it. But here we are. Yeah, that's right. When we started in 2013, we wouldn't have thought this would be likely. But the airport in uh, Sao Paulo is using drones to, as you say, to monitor and protect the perimeter. And this is all under the airport's security work plan, which provides that perimeter monitoring and protection and uh, identification of threats, which can be a variety of things. It could be a fire outbreak, animal incursions, people trespassing. And there are also some maintenance tasks that the drones can uh, uh, support, like runway inspections, logistics, and traffic guidance. So the airport is is using two UAVs from uh, Dawi Technology, two thermal camera devices, an optical camera that functions in low light, dual batteries, and can operate in rain and night. So they've got fairly sophisticated UASs that they're using for the system. So Dawa Technology is a security company that provides video-centric IoT solutions and the services they produce multi-rotor industrial drones that come with a variety of camera systems and payloads so it really is kind of they're getting the most out of they can out of these two uas's i mean things like inspection and runways and logistics and animal incursions those are three big deals and a perfect um use for uas's in the airspace so i'm wondering 
I'm wondering how the air, the UASs are connecting with like the tower and the airport. Are they only flying it during non-flying hours? And you know, those kind of, those kind of logistics that I'd like to know. Yeah, that would be interesting to learn more about. I can imagine a perimeter inspection by a drone could be done at a fairly low level. Probably you could even do a do it autonomously, following that you know that track the per, uh, of the fence perimeter. Line. Yeah, the fence line exactly. So that might not be too tough, but yeah, anything inside the fence. Um, yeah, I I think the, the the coordination with manned flight operations would be quite important. But yeah, it sounds like that uh, they've got uh, a good project going here. Hopefully, it will expand to other airports as we as we go on. So, well, Max, I think it's time to wrap this up because it's a holiday weekend. What do you think? That's right. For uh, all of you in the United States, uh, enjoy the. Labor Day weekend, the three-day Labor Day weekend. And uh, for the rest of you in the world, well, I hope you enjoy your weekend as well. But we want to thank you for listening to Episode 412 of the UAV Digest. As always, you can find us in the show notes at theuavdigest.com. And, of course, you can find Max and I on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, and any, anywhere else that you uh, get your social media from. Likewise, you can join our Slack listener team, and you do that by sending us an email to feedback at the uavdigest.com, and we'll send you a link, and you can join that conversation that occurs daily. So with that, Max, I'm going to say uh, happy Labor Day to all of us here in the United States. We look forward to speaking to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody.